Amen. Uh, man, my, my hope today is um, that I can be present with you guys and with the Holy Spirit. Um, when I public speak, I, you know, like most people, I get a little bit nervous, and so my tendency is to fall completely on my notes and what I've studied through the week. But my, my prayer this morning has been that God would allow me mentally and spiritually to be present with you guys and with Him um, so that as the Spirit leads, I can follow. So um, if I stumble... Just hang in there with me. It, it is an attempt to, to just be present. Um, this week, um, I went back. We started this journey in January. Last December, we had our start, State of the Church address where um, Glenn shared with us the vision that God had given for our church for this year, and it was to, to simplify, to just look at who Jesus was as a person. And that would be enough. That if we, could, if we could open our hearts and our minds to just know Him in a very personal and a very real way, that would be enough. Um, today, our, our Romans passage talked about if we will just love one another, all of the commandments and all of the law are wrapped up in that one thing. And the way that we, the way that we know love is by knowing Jesus. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. So I wanted, to, I wanted us to go back just real quick this morning, and we started this series in John chapter 14, uh, verse uh, 8 through 11. Philip said this to them, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. How long, church? How long until we know him? How long until we finally fulfill the call that God has for us to do our ABCs, to abide, to bless, and to commit to community. Today's um, passage of scripture that God's got us in, I, I'll be honest with you guys, I was very nervous about this week. And I was nervous because if, if you only half listen today, if you tune me in and you tune me out, you're going to walk away with us going to a place that we have spent years detoxing from, a place of works. If you don't fully listen today, if you are not present in mind and in body and in spirit, then you're going to leave here today saying, man, we need to work really hard for Jesus. And I want to be clear from the outset, that is not what God has to say to us today. Today is about obedience. Obedience is part of the, the abiding cycle. In fact, it's the only part that we really have anything that we choose to do. It's the part that we play the most significant part in. And remember, God doesn't just want us to know about Him. He wants us to know Him. And the only way to know Him is to abide in Him. We're going to address that more a little bit later. Um, but let's, let's move on. To learn, we need to learn about who Jesus is. Um, and we look at how He interacts with people, how He reacts to the circumstance that God puts Him in. Um, and that's what we're going to do today. Last Sunday, Glenn left us off with the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, um, Jesus sees him in the tree. Jesus calls him to himself. We, we spent two weeks talking about how Jesus calls sinner to himself. Remember that we identify as one of those sinners. Our name, the gathering place, comes from the scripture where it says that notorious sinners and tax collectors gathered around Jesus. So that's where we find ourselves. Okay? 
So we're going we're gonna to pick up from that story and we're going to move forward into Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And it's, and it's very obvious from the outset that Jesus is telling this parable for a very specific reason, okay? So my goal today is to, to break this parable down into chewable chunks, things that we can manage, all right? And, and try to figure out what Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples. Why is he telling this story? Okay, and as we read it, you're probably going to respond like I responded when I first read it. So let's just jump in there, and we'll read this together, and then, and then we'll, we'll see what God has for us. So starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, we're talking about the, the, the testimony of Zacchaeus and Jesus' response, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was not a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. When they did, um, why then did you not put money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected the interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more, more will be given. But from the, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Okay. My initial reaction to this when I read it early in the week was, wait, what? <laughs> what? what is, why is Jesus telling this story? What, how does this even relate to Zacchaeus? I knew that when I read it, my mind immediately went to works. These guys worked really hard. They did a good job. They invested their money. They got a good return on it. And Jesus was, uh, the, the nobleman was happy. But as I thought about it, I thought, man, that does not line up at all with everything we've been learning this year. So I'm, there's something I'm missing. So I dug in, got with the Holy Spirit and said, all right, Jesus, show me what you're, show me what you're communicating in this passage. Okay? So what we're going to talk about today is why Jesus tells this parable and what he's trying to communicate to the hearers, okay? It's important to point out that this parable, um, the, the king or the nobleman is addressing two groups of people. He's addressing, one, the servants who chose to, to be under his reign, and then he's also addressing those that chose not to be under his reign, okay? And we're going to deal mostly with the servants that chose to be under his reign today, but we will talk a little bit about those, those ending passages at the end today, okay? So, right at the beginning, in my best Kevin Hart voice, okay, it's about to go down, all right? The disciples, they, they see the blind man being healed, and they see Zacchaeus, this, this tax collector, 
who was the, you know, tax collectors were the most despised, all of a sudden, man, he has this encounter with Jesus, and he completely, you know, turns on his ways, and he's like, Jesus, I'm all about you. Whatever I've taken fourfold, I'm going to return it. And I think it's safe to say that, that the disciples' minds were blown, okay? They're like, oh, here it comes, y'all. The kingdom is coming. It's about to happen. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he tells this story, okay? So if we look at verse 9 through 11, it says, And Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house, since, also, um, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Okay, so that's, Jesus says this, and then the disciples, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Okay, so Zacchaeus, man, he has this incredible encounter with Jesus. It changes his life. Um, the disciples see it, and they can feel it, man. It's thick in the air. I mean, it is obvious that something is about to happen. And they're like, oh, y'all watch. It's going to be good. Because they're still in the mindset that Jesus is going to come in, and he's going to conquer the Romans. And then here they are, the best friends of the king. Okay? So in their mind, they're like, this is about to be good, y'all. Y'all just y'all watch what's going to happen. Y'all see what happens. Okay? Jesus knows this, and, he, and they still don't get it. They still don't get it. Okay? It is time, but he's not fixing to do what they're expecting. They're like Philip. They don't get it, okay? We find ourselves in a similar place this morning. God has been speaking his desire for us as a church, okay? But I think we're still a little bit blind to it. I think God's been speaking it, and I think it's been going in our ears, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's settled here yet, okay? Hang with me. Don't get distracted by somebody walking in. I'm serious. Let's look at, uh, at the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. Paul tries to help us understand what our call is about. Okay, I love this passage. Glenn's preached on it before. Um, and this is, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. And he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known and the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we will proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. At this point in his ministry, Paul gets it. God chooses us. He, he chose me and he chose you to tell the world about how amazing he is. It, there is no backup plan. God's not going to say, well, you know what, Will, you're not going to do it, so I'll just go down there and do it myself. That's not the goal. It's not his purpose. So the disciples are so consumed with this idea that Jesus is going to come in and he's going to throw over the establishment that they're, they're, they're so blinded by that they can't even see any other possibility because the dead religion of their time had been preaching to them for generation after generation that the Messiah is coming, and when the Messiah comes, he is bringing his kingdom. 
And in their minds, they're looking for another David. They're looking for a conquering king that's going to come in and he is going to take over and wipe out everybody that's been persecuting the Israelites. And I know when we read this story, I know what you're thinking because I think it too. Stupid disciples. How are they missing this? I mean, they were right there. I mean, I'm just reading it, but they're with Jesus. All these miracles are happening. Jesus is communicating what he's about to do. And how, how are they missing it? Ironically, for us, you know, the disciples, they spent three years with Jesus. And ironically for us, it's been three years that we've been incorporated here as a body, as the gathering place west, okay? And in the very beginning, I went back and looked at my notes from when we first did our core group work. As God spoke what we were to be in this community, he gave us a vision of, of, of living in community with one another, okay? But I think that we miss it because we're blinded by our own selfish desires of what we think the church should be or what we think our life should look like. Verse 12, he said, Therefore a nobleman went into a far country to re- receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Okay, so a mina is uh, a sixtieth of a talent, okay? But it's about three months worth of wages. So it's a, it's a significant sum of money for them, okay? So what do you do with money? You take money when, when someone says, go and engage in business. You take that money, you invest it, and you turn it into more money, okay? And that's, that's exactly what the king wanted. He told his servants, hey, take this money, go engage it in business, and turn it into more money. That was the expectation, okay? We have been given a task by God, okay? He didn't give us some money and say, go make more money. He gave us a task. He said, go and do your ABCs. And what happens when we do our ABCs? We learn about who Jesus is. And as we learn about who Jesus is, there is an overflow that comes out of our lives and it spills into other people's lives and they learn about who Jesus is. Jesus is trying to show the disciples in this story that they've lost sight of the goal. Jesus didn't come to to be served. He didn't come to be a king. He came to serve. They're still thinking that they're going to be, you know, in the end group when Jesus sets up his kingdom and that they're going to enjoy it. But Jesus is reminding them that they are called to be servants. Jesus is reminding us that we are called to be servants. In verse 13 it says, uh, Jesus gives us all the same portion. Okay? If you remember in 13, he gave all three men, or all ten servants, the mina. Okay? This, a lot of times people look at this story and they go, oh, this is the parable of the talents. That's a different story. In the, in the parable of the talents, each person got a different amount, okay? And they were told to go and do something with that different amount. In this story, they're all given the same amount. We're all given the same thing. The Holy Spirit, when we become a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells with us, and I have the same resources that you have, and you have the same ones that I have. I have a family member who often will call me and say, hey, can you please pray about this for me? Because God listens to you better than he listens to me. No, no, no. We have the same access to the same Holy Spirit. Jesus sent his spirit to empower us, to give us the the ability to fulfill the call that he's put on our life. It's not something that we're supposed to try to do under our own power because the moment we try to do it in our own power, it goes from being obedience to being works. And you're doing it not because God called you to, but because you think you ought to. And that is a dangerous place to be. We know that because we have experienced that personally. 
In verse 14 it says, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Y'all, our flesh fights being a servant. We are all born into the same flesh, okay? We are born into sin, and our sin, our flesh, does not want to be mastered. It wants to do what it wants to do when it wants to do it. The people that God has called us to share the gospel with, they are just like us. They have sin in their lives, and that, that sin, that flesh, doesn't want to be brought under control. But our call to ministry is to help them see how good life is when you release that control and you say, look, God, I'm going to let you be in charge for a while. Instead of obeying our call to ministry and living a life led by the Holy Spirit, we chase our own goals. We set priorities for ourselves. We've made our lives about us and not about Him. Let's pick up in verse 15. When He returned, having received the kingdom, He ordered these servants to whom He had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five. Here's the deal, guys. Jesus is going to evaluate us. He's going to look at what the task that he's given us, and he's going to say, how'd you do? Don't panic. Hang in there with me, okay? Because what, you, what your flesh wants to hear is, oh, Jesus is going to look see if I did a good job. No. No. He said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. His evaluation of the servants were not based on how good they did or how much they did. That word faithful there means responsible. He is saying, you did a good job because you did what I asked. You were responsible with what I gave you. And now you have shown me that you can be responsible with even much more. That word there is is pistos. And I think that is, for me, that was kind of groundbreaking in how to understand this passage. Because when I read it, I thought Jesus was excited or, or was saying that this nobleman was excited because they had worked really hard. But that word pistos to me helped me to understand that this passage is not about how much they did. It was about the fact that they did it. The second servant doesn't get a bad evaluation. He too was trustworthy. Okay? And he's also given more responsibility in relation to his faithfulness. As we obey what God's telling us to do, we're going to see him for who he is. When we obey, that's part of that abiding cycle. When we obey, we're going to learn more about who God is, and it's going to cause us to fall deeper in love with him. And we're going to ask him for more. See, that's the difference between works and obedience. When we do works, when we do things because we're supposed to, we get tired, and we get run down, and we get exhausted, and we think, when is this going to be over? But when we do things out of obedience, when God says, hey, I want you to go do this, and you do it, you're not, you're not exhausted. You're filled with joy. And you're going, man, that was, that was incredible. I think I want some more of that. God, what's next? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay? You get excited. When we, when we, do, our, our love, when we do our obedience out of love, it doesn't feel like works. Okay? Now, let's deal with the third servant. Then another came saying, Lord... Here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. 
He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected with interest. All right, here's what I get out of that chunk, okay? Jesus is not going to let you excuse away your disobedience. He's not going to let you excuse it away. When I, when, I, when I read this passage out loud and I'm listening to it, I hear blah, 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 blah. Okay? Y'all know the saying, excuses are like butts. You can finish it in your mind. Okay? But, but here's where I think we find ourselves in this story a lot of times. Jesus is saying, hey, that, that thing I told you to do, how's that going? And we go, oh, uh, well, you know what, what had happened was uh, I was going to, um, but then my friend called and I had to go take care of this other thing. Right? Okay. We're, we're really, we really get good at, at giving excuses, okay? Look, I get it. I get it, okay? You're busy, right? Watch this. That was a dramatic eye roll for those of you listening on the podcast. Okay? You're busy, right? I, get it. I, I was messing with Daniel months ago. He was telling me about how busy he was. And I said, oh, you, you want to compare responsibilities? Let's, let's make a list real quick, Daniel. That lasted about three items in, and he gave up, okay? Look, I get it. You're busy, right? I want you to do me a favor. This afternoon, you can do it right now in your mind, whichever. I want you to write down all the things you're busy with. Just write them down, all the things. Write down all the things, okay? When you get your list, it might be a really long list if it's like me. Long list, okay? And look, I'm speaking this out of experience because God does with this with me like on a weekly basis, okay? Write that list down. And now, when you get your big long list that you're really proud of, look at all these things I'm doing, working really hard for Jesus, doing good in school, my job's going really well. I want you to take that list and everything that God did not specifically tell you to do, I want you to mark it out. Just put a line through it. Well, Will, it's, it's really important. No? Just mark it out, okay? And then I want you to look at that list again. And then really, how busy are you? Of the things that are really important in your life as a believer, the things that God has called you to do, are you really that busy? I was talking with Talitha about this this morning, and she pointed out, for those of you that are younger than me, okay, you think life is busy right now, it's only going to get worse. If you don't have time for Jesus right now, you're not going to have time for Jesus in a year, okay? Because you're going to all of a sudden you're gonna be like, oh, snap, I got five kids. How'd that happen? Okay, that's honest right there. That's testimony, okay? Careful, you're going to have five, okay? Sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm, I'm broke. I don't have any money right now. Again, that was another dramatic eye roll for the podcast. God is the one who gives you the money, okay? I'm going to tell you from, from, from personal testimony, man, when finance is really tight, and then God says, hey, I want you to do this thing that's going to cost you some money, I go, God, I don't have the money for that. Guess what happens? There's a check in the mail. Here you go. Or somebody says, hey, man, you need 100 bucks." Now, a lot of you are probably thinking, man, I need $100. Who's going to give me $100? Well, start being obedient to Jesus and see what happens. This is not prosperity gospel, okay? Don't be confused. I'm not saying if you work really hard and you do well for yourself, that Jesus is going to bless you. No, I'm saying you be obedient to God. And he's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. Watch and see what happens. Okay? Look, y'all, our, our greatest joy is found in obedience. Okay? I mentioned a few minutes ago that it's been three years since God called us here. Okay? How have you obeyed God's call to this body over the last three years? Some of you are new here, so you get a pass on this thing, okay? You get a pass on that one thing. But God has a call on your life. How have you spent the last three years 
dealing with it. Okay, have you been obedient? Let me say this, if you're, if you're here today and you're just checking us out, or maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you were kind of thinking about it, and now I told you you have to be a servant to him and be obedient, just hang in there with me, okay? Let me, let me explain to you how this works. I, I made a, a graphic, if you'll put it up there for me, Anna, of the abiding cycle. Okay, those of you who don't know fine art, okay, for those of you who do know fine art, shut up, it took two minutes on an iPad, okay? I needed a, I needed a little graphic. So this is the abiding cycle, okay? This is the will version. Huh? Are you offended by my art? I'm sorry. It's cute. Oh, Saley's art, so I now I draw like a 10-year-old. Saley's a very good artist, I'll have you know. All right, this is the abiding cycle. Let me explain how this works. In case you haven't, I mean, you've been here with us for three years. We've been preaching the abiding cycle longer than that. Glenn has a book, okay? If you want more info, if you've gone through new member training and you're a member here, you've heard this before. God speaks, okay? That's where it starts, it's not our responsibility. There's nothing we have to do except listen, okay? God speaks. And then the next thing is we have to choose to obey, okay? That is, that is where we are in the equation. That is where we have input into what's going to happen. That's the only place we have input into what's going to happen. God speaks and we have a choice to make, okay? I heard, I'll, I'll say this before I, before I continue on. Tim Keller said this. I heard this this week and it just, it was incredible, Okay, and so I want to read this to you guys. He said, when we choose not to obey, we have bought into the lie that Satan told in the garden that our disobedience will bring us more joy than God can. We believe that our disobedience can bring us more joy than God can. And I, and I will tell you from personal experience that is false and it is a lie. And it is a trick and he's trying to get you. Okay, so God speaks, we, we're going, for the sake of this, the illustration, we're going to be positive, we're going to say we choose to obey, okay? And then when we obey, the results are out of our hands. God says, do this thing, and you do that thing, and then God is in charge of what happens next. That's his role, okay? And we call that God-exclusive activity, because when it happens, you step back and go, man, look what God just did. And when that happens, when we see that, we fall deeper in love with him, because we have this new personal experience. And it's not something that somebody can tell you. I can tell you that God will be your provider, but until you've experienced God providing in a moment of need, you don't get it. You can't understand it until you have walked through it yourself. And once we fall deeper in love with God, we're like, hey, bring some more of that on. That was really cool. And I got to tell a lot of people about it, and I want some more, Jesus. Hook me up with some more. You, you feeling how that's different from works? In the work cycle that we've been caught up in before, we're doing stuff because we think we're supposed to, and we get exhausted and we don't want to do it anymore. I'm not interested in living that life anymore, and I, I, I would venture to say that you're not either, okay? So let me give you some examples of personal experiences where I've obeyed God, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how my socks were blown off, okay? God told Bethany and I, I don't know, several years, a lot of years ago, to, to move forward and foster an adoption, Okay, and my initial response, okay, so God spoke. He said, do foster care, okay? And my initial response, being honest with you guys, was, mm-mm, nope. I'd always considered it, but when I really thought about it, I was scared. I was scared for my kids, because you don't know what you're bringing into your household, okay? I was scared about my finances. I was like, God, I'm, I'm broke. There ain't no way I can afford some more kids. What are you talking about, Okay. And I'm, that's where I was. And I stayed there for a while. And then God called me and Glenn and a lady named Miss Elizabeth to go to Uganda. Okay? And I, 
And I knew that when I went over there that I was going to be faced with the, with the reality of the need to take care of children. Okay, I knew it was coming. And, I, and so I picked up this book called Reclaiming Adoption. And I thought, I'm going to read this book while I'm gone. It's going to be a good idea. The first day we were in Uganda, I called Bethany and said, get all the information you can about foster care because, man, God overwhelmed me with the need in central Louisiana. Not in, there's a need in Uganda, but God overwhelmed me with central Louisiana, the place where he has called me to live, and said, Will, there is a need there. And not only that, he said, Will, if I'm calling you to be a foster parent, that means there are some children out there waiting for their daddy. Now let that sink in for a minute. If God has called you to foster care of adoption, I know there's a couple of couples in here that are praying through that. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm telling you my experience. That's what God put on me. If God is speaking to you about foster care or adoption, that means there's some little ones waiting on their mom and daddy. And, in, and if we choose to not be disobedient, we're not just robbing ourselves of a blessing. We're robbing those children of the father and the mother that God intended for them. You see, our obedience is not just about us. It is, but it's so much more. Another place I chose to obey was being youth minister at this church. Okay? When, when God cast the vision that we were to launch two churches and we need to pray about where to go, I, in my heart, in my mind, I was like, wherever Talitha's going, I'm in. Okay? I, I knew Glenn was going to be with her. But then when it came down to the reality of it and, and God showed us where we were going to be and what we were going to be doing, my initial reaction was, God, what are you going to do with me over there? I got, I got nothing to offer those kids. They, they, don't, they don't look like me. They don't dress me like me. Their culture is different from mine. I don't understand them. They're not going to understand me. And God said, I didn't ask you to do anything except go. And y'all, I cannot, I cannot even imagine not being here. I can't imagine how I ever thought the things that I thought before God showed me who he was in this community. God has radically changed my heart towards the people in this community because I obeyed. Not because I worked really hard and we put together some neat programs had a lot of kids show up, but because I just obeyed and I followed God's call here. A lot of y'all know I work for a company called Petron. I worked there in high school and through college, and then I left and did full-time ministry and said, I'll never go back there. And then God brought me to the end of myself and sent me back to Petron. I worked there for another three years, and God told me to go work for one of our elders, Aaron. And I said, thank God, I'll never go back there. And then as the time drew closed with Aaron, and God told me it was, it was time to leave that position, I was like, all right, God, where do you want me to go next? Not kidding you, this is what God said. I'm reading God's, God Speaks in my morning devotion. I'm sitting at the table. Kids are running around. Bethany's cooking breakfast. And I'm reading, and God told me it was time to leave Aaron's. And I said, my next, I just like, all right, God, what's next? The very next devotion I opened up, the top line said, from where you came, I'm sending you back. Crap! <laughs> Y'all, I love my job. I love it. I get to make my own schedule, okay? I get to, to do ministry in the, in the area that I work, and my boss is a believer, and he, if I need to run and go do something ministry, he's like, go do your thing, man. Just come on back when you're done. But God has provided that not because Steve's a great guy, and not because I'm really responsible at work, but because I obeyed what God said. And I went where he called me to. And I, I don't have any desire to leave. I love what I do. Love it. So you'll know somebody's texting me about how to make gumbo. That's what kind of guy I am. All right. Let's deal with these last couple of verses, and then we'll close out. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate this. And he said to those who stood by, 
Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. I think Glenn gave me this passage on purpose. (laughs) What do you do with that? Let me tell you what God told me to do with it, okay? Let's deal with the first part of it first. So the third servant... He got the same instructions, he got the same resources as the first two, but instead of being obedient and putting his money to work, he chose to sit on it and just hide it. And he had a lot of excuses about why that was a good idea, but at the end of the day, he was disobedient. Y'all, here's what God spoke to me through this passage, okay? And, and please hear me correctly on this, because I, I want to make sure that you're hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say. If we will not obey, God will find someone who will. The third servant chose to obey the king instead of following his instructions. It is God's desire that we come to know him by experience. And that happens through us obeying him and then getting to see what he does after that. And seeing him for who he really is. God calls us to things that have a huge impact on the community that he has called us to. And just so we're clear, when I say community, I'm talking about this area. But I'm also talking about the people that you live and work with the people that are in your life group, the people that sit next to you at the office, okay? Your family. If we choose not to obey, God will find someone else to fulfill what we refuse to do. Sometimes our refusals flat out. We're like, no, nah, I ain't doing that, guy. I'm not doing it. And sometimes it's a refusal by stagnation. We say, uh, yeah, God, I'll do that. Let me, uh, let me take care of this first. Let me, get, let me get this first, let me get that done, and then I'll do what you asked me to do. I think a lot of the dead religion that you and I have experienced growing up is a result of people refusing to be obedient to God. I don't think, I know it is. I know it is. I know that the times in my life where I've felt dead it's because there's something that God's told me to do and I refused to do it, whether it was out, 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 right out refusal or just I pushed it over here because I didn't want to deal with it. You see, we live in a culture where if somebody asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, you can just ignore them and eventually they'll quit asking because it gets awkward and they don't like awkward. I think what God's trying to communicate in this passage is that he doesn't forget and he's not going to stop asking. And if you just refuse to do it, whether it's right out flat or just by not doing it for a while, He'll find somebody who'll do it because, like I said a while ago, our obedience is bigger than us. It's about us, and Jesus wants to reveal himself in us and and through us, but it's also about the people that God's put us around. If we look around our community, we see devastation that's occurring because churches aren't being who God's called them to be. I I struggled, I told y'all, with this passage because I don't want you to leave here today thinking that Will said we need to work really hard because Jesus expects us to. That's not what I, that is not, it's not what I want to communicate, and it's not what Jesus is communicating. I was, I was sitting at my desk yesterday. I, I, I do my writing at the office on Saturday because it's really quiet, no one's around. And uh, my boss came in, Steve. And uh, Steve comes into my office, and he says, Well, why don't churches do what they're called to do anymore? Why is it we got all these homeless and marginalized in central Louisiana, and they're just letting the government take care of them? 
I said, Steve, you don't know this, but the Holy Spirit just spoke through you. He said, what? Because I've been praying that he would learn to hear from, from God. And God used that as an opportunity to teach him something. But also to confirm to me that what, I, what God was saying and what I thought I was hearing was really the Holy Spirit. You know, if we look around central Louisiana, there are marginalized and there are homeless. and There, there is a wealth of need, okay? And I'm not saying that we as a church need to go out and attack this huge problem. What I told Steve yesterday, he said, Willis, let's dig deeper. He said, what, I have to ask myself, what is God asking me to do? And I said, yes, that's exactly right. You have to ask God, God, what are, what are you calling me to do in terms of the problems that are around us? Glenn talked about last week at the end of his service, and I, and I really appreciated it, that this flood's happening and our flesh is saying two things. Either I don't want to go help with the flood because that's going to be exhausting, or, man, we should go help with the flood because that's a really good thing to do. And it is a good thing to do. But it's a good thing to do if God's called you to do that, but not if he hasn't. All right, last verse. This is a verse 27. It says, But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This passage, this, this particular verse, is, Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand that if, that if you are separated from me, if you separate yourself from God and say, I don't want any part of you, it's going to end in death. Now, I don't, I, I, I don't like brimstone-type messages, fire and brimstone, where, you know, let's get the people really scared so they'll make a decision for Jesus. But I think that Jesus is trying to communicate a reality here. Okay, that word slaughter, it's only referenced in two other places in, in the Bible. And it's when, I believe it was Samuel, literally chopped someone into a bunch of little pieces with his sword. Okay, that's, that's the language that Jesus is using, okay? And to me, that's like, that, man, that's harsh, you know? Because we don't like to think about that. Because our culture says, well, what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me. But as a church, we believe that the gospel is truth. And the truth is, is that if we, if we separate ourselves from God and say, we are not going to live under your reign, that that is going to end in death. And it's not something that's popular to say in some circles. In some, it's really popular. And you say it really loud with a big booming voice. But that ain't us. But it is the truth and it is reality. So let's close with this. Jesus expects us to obey what he's called us to do. As we're learning about who Jesus is, as I take a step back and I look at this passage, and I say, what's the, what's, the, what's the takeaway? What is Jesus trying to help the disciples to understand? The, what he's trying to help them understand is that, that he has called them to something. He has given them a task. He's given them a responsibility. And he's letting them know, I expect you to do this. I mean, that, that tells you a lot about the character of somebody who gives you a task and then, and then expects it. I don't know what, what your home life was like growing up, but, but mine was if my dad told me to do something, he expected it to be done when he said it to be done. And that's how my household works. But I had friends whose parents would tell them to do something and there was no expectation of completion. And I'll just tell you, those people are not doing real well in life now because they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't know how to do stuff, Okay? But Jesus, his character is, is that when he gives us a commandment, he expects us to do it. Now, we have free will and we can choose not to, but he expects that we, that we will. God has given us a calling as a church, okay? And he has not forgotten what he has called us to. And he's not going to let us forget either, okay? 
because his desire is for us to obey and then come to know him more and that the people around us would know him more, okay? We are God's plan for this community, us in this room. You are God's plan for the people that God has put in your life. I'm not his plan. Glenn's not his plan for them. You, right where you are. Paul said, Christ in you is the hope of glory. This morning, I was, uh, when I woke up, I just, I still was anxious about this message. And I thought, man, I hope I'm not missing it. Let me read to you a couple of things that God said this morning through my daily reading, okay? Worshiping is an everyday occasion. We presume that we would be ready for battle if confronted, confronted with a great crisis. But it is not the crisis that builds something within us. It simply reveals what we are made of already. Do you find yourself saying, if God calls in a battle, of course I'll rise to the occasion. Yet you won't rise to the occasion unless you have done so on God's training ground. If you are not doing the task that is closest to you now, which God has engineered into your life, when the crisis comes, instead of being fit for battle, you will be revealed as being unfit. Crisis always reveals a person's true character. Are you saying, but I can't be expected to live a sanctified life in my present circumstances? I have no time for prayer or Bible study right now. Besides, my opportunity for battle hasn't come yet. But when it does, of course, I will be ready. No, you will not. If you have not been worshiping in everyday occasions, when you get involved in God's work, you will not only be useless yourself, but also a hindrance to those around you. God's training ground where the missionary weapons are found is hidden personal worship of the saint. That's Oswald Chambers. This is Henry Blackaby. God remembers. Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. That's Jeremiah 2.2. 2. Even when our hearts grow cold toward God and our devotion to him weakens, his love remains steadfast. We may forget God, but he remembers us. God was concerned because the people of Judah had allowed their hearts to drift far from him. In a powerful moment, God shared his heart with his people, recalling what it was like when they first began loving him. He remembered how they had loved him as a new bride loves her husband, with excitement and with enthusiasm for their future. He recalled the kindness that they had expressed as they willingly followed him wherever he led. God reminded them of the love they had once had for him so that the memory might rekindle feelings of devotion and their hearts might return to him. If you do not guard your heart, you will go cold in your love for Christ. A time may come when he approaches you and reminds you what your relationship was once like. Do you recollect the joy of the, uh, permea that permeated your life when you first became a Christian? Do you recall the youthfulness, youthful com commitments that you made to him, pledging to do anything he told you to do? Do you remember the thrill you experienced each time you came to an understanding of a new dimension of his nature? Spiritual memory is important. You may not realize how far you have drifted from God until you contrast the love that you are expressing to him now with that of earlier days. God has not changed. He is the same person you gave your heart to when you became a Christian. If your love for God is not as intense as it once was, return to him. He will restore the intimate fellowship you once shared with him. 
And then lastly, this is a quote from Tozer. May God raise up a people who would consult, uh, consult their pleasure less and the great need more. Church, God has a message for us. And it's to do our ABCs. He will not give us a new directive until we obey the one he's already given. And if we disobey long enough, he's going to give it to somebody else. I don't have a desire to become a dead church, and I know you don't either. But if we don't obey God, that's what we become. If, you, if you're looking at your life this morning and you're saying, uh, Will, I, I don't know what my call is. Start by doing your ABCs. Abide in Christ. Bless the people that he's put in your life. If you don't remember the Blessed Crossing, begin with prayer, listen to them, eat with them, serve them, share the gospel. And then lastly, commit to community. If you say, well, I, I know what my call is, I know what God told me to do, but I don't know where to start. Start by doing your ABCs. Abide in Christ, bless, and commit to community. By fulfilling the, the overall arching goal that God has given for our church, you will find your call and you will find your place in the ministry of this church. And you will, not, you will not feel overworked. And you will not feel exhausted. I'm not saying you won't be tired. Matt Chandler said one time, we've got too many, go, too many men going to bed with energy. Okay? We need, we need to toil in our obedience to God. And give him everything we got. And through that, experience who he is. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the clarity that you've brought me today and this morning. And God, for your commitment to continue to speak the same message to us until we get it, until we do it. And Father, it is, it is my heart, it is my desire to, to refill that youthfulness, that excitement about ministry. Not because I want to go back and experience the same thing again, but God, because I know how much you love me. God, that you came and you spent three years with people just like me, notorious sinners and tax collectors. You devoted your life to us. Father, it is, it is my desire and it is the desire of this church to know you more. And so, Father, I ask that you would... Um, God, give us a desire to be obedient to the call that you have placed on our life. Whatever that is, God, that is a personal thing for each of us. God, help us to remember every day when we wake up to do our ABCs. We want to know you more.